I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast with a fascinating discussion on improving the time to decision for CIOs. Uh, we started talking about general business practice. How do we help uh, technical innovators, architects, create value for the teams that they support? Um, either from an automation perspective, which is what Rackend does, or what Tyler was describing from a data perspective. Um, these are real challenges. But when we flip the script and talk about the miscommunication between how CIOs see business challenges and translate business challenges into technical delivery, we really got into a fascinating set of discussions where Joanne brings up key challenges for 2023 and mapping mapping those from CIOs into implementation, um, and then ultimately trying to find ways that people can make fast, valuable decisions that feel right, um, and then map into value for companies. Uh, fascinating conversation, really rooted in some important uh, conceptual executive level thinking. Uh, and of course, the list of points that Joanne's talking about are in the show notes. Highly recommend you check those out. Um, we try to, to name them, but in a lot of cases, we are talking about the list or the graphic, and uh, you need to refer to the show notes to see the complete one. You're looking at a technology diffusion life cycle popularized by Jeffrey Moore. None of us remember who invented it because it was a paper written in the 50s that Jeff Jeffrey Moore picked up and popularized. So yes, actual inventors, we don't know. <laughs> but you're looking for kind of that early mainstream to maybe middle to late innovator. So you're kind of sitting right on the chasm here, right? We we what oh. what we recognize is actually go ahead, John. <laughs> I I would say to your point, Tyler, and your story, I 100% get it. But I think the landscape, macroeconomic and microeconomic, are so different now than they were then. Even though the business value was not delivered, you don't have people talking themselves into recession. You don't have supply chains that are broken. You don't have financial services that are teetering and being threatened by blockchain and DeFi hmm. businesses. Uh, you don't have that whole fintech market. So the CIO's role has changed so significantly in that five-year period that the minute they, they're not showing business value, they're gone. I mean, I had that situation, and I have quite a story to recant to you, by the way, but I don't have to do it today. Um, that being said, I think that in if I were sitting in Rob's shoes, making that CIO argument based on the industry pressures that are coming, and you can do that by vertical, as well as the pressure on, on the CEO, you can make an argument for here's where the business value gets delivered because by using IAC, your devs can deliver more apps faster in an agile environment. You're going to get the business value and you can start knocking off the, the phased gates of some of your challenges one after the other after the other because this is a part of the equation nobody has to worry about. And all it is is a line item in your budget. And I guarantee you, you're going to get response because that argument that goes to the C-suite and up to the board level says this actually makes, pardon the expression, sense. And that's what transformation is about. And that's what, you know, industry four is about. And in your particular case, rather than fight the, you know, data mesh, data fabric wars, which is what my story relates to, I would be using exactly the same argument because I've seen it work for the past two years. Every single client that I have that, and I deal with CIOs on a daily basis, I hear the same thing. How do I get the board off my back? How do I get the CEO to actually understand what's involved in bringing in AI or chat GTP oh or my God, some yes. regression model or whatever, whatever, whatever. And 
they're not interested in hearing the CIO's uh, pain about, you know, my dev and my ops are killing each other. I have people walking out the door. I have a hybrid environment I have to deal with now. And basically, that's right. pardon the expression, shut up and leave me alone. Let me get the job done for you. So the minute they have yeah. that first big, this is the problem in my industry and in my segment, and they can translate that into how I can deliver business value. They look golden. And the rest of the C-suite, who usually is the party who's responsible for funding IT budgets, and that's not just in manufacturing, but across industries, usually goes, oh, I I can turn this into a win for me because they'll take a facet of the business case argument and turn it to their advantage. So you can do the what's in it for me argument at the same yeah. time. Sorry for the rant. No, no, that, no, please. I, I, I'm kind of, I, I've got, I, I naturally, I want to play devil's advocate here, but that's just because of, that's one of my methods to getting to deeper truths is to examine the different sides. Cause I'm not sure I agree with, or excuse me, I'm not sure I disagree with anything you said at all. But I feel like that that story is an incomplete story. Does that make sense? Like, uh, so. well, the next thing, the next thing I wanted to bring up was, well, maybe we need to break down and subdivide the CIO buyer persona. Because what what you said, I think, is absolutely true of some CIOs and not true of other ones. And that has to do with a a significant number of factors. One factor, the most important probably would be where they are in their job life cycle for their current posting. So are they and who they report into and who they report into and and not the title, but the actual person. Right. I mean, what you know, what are they, are, are they reporting into the CEO? Well, is it, okay, if it's a mid-market firm, what's, what are the CEO's agenda? Uh, you know, are they looking, are they in a distressed vertical, like, I don't know, mortgage banks, and they're looking to sell the company and get out because their business has dropped by 50%, or are they, you know, every vertical, every company and every vertical has a different, situation but i do th- i i think that by the way rob i think that your value prop and mine yeah resonate with similar buyer personas mm-hmm. uh because really what we're talking about is to 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 use the well-worn sports analogy is you, whether it's data fabric or digital rebar it's really about taking that friction out of your processes and becoming more efficient. So it's kind of like in a sports analogy, like, you know, the football coach comes in and they start with fundamentals, like teach the fundamental moves. And then once they get, once you get your team to that maturity level, then you start teaching them plays and, Mm. You know, DevOps in general and digital rebar specifically, the PrivOps matrix data fabric, that's really all about us building that muscle mass in so, the customer's organization, right? So there, there's another component here that I I was picking up in my analysis that I think will work will, will work for you um, also. Um, because when you train somebody... Um, and this is this is a great this is great analogy that we use all the time in, in pipelines and CICD too, which is there's two aspects, right? There's accuracy and repeatability. Um, and what's interesting is most coaches here <laughs> are training, you know, will, will train you on repeatability even before they train you on accuracy. Right. I, and Joanne, it's not quite big enough for us to see the text oh. under the numbers. Um, Just a sec. But one of the things that we highlighted for um, Rack N work is that the CIOs have been investing in a ton of automation, right? Going back, Tyler, to your example of somebody who built a big data lake. And then it wasn't useful. What we find is that CIOs have built tons and tons of automation. They've spent millions of dollars, but the automation is not reliable. 
the repeatability of that infrastructure is in question. Like it does what it does. It, it might hit the target, but it doesn't hit it reliably. And, yeah. and I think it's, it's really hard to, um, you know, especially in tech right now, it's hard for people to distinguish, right? I, I can do a task, but if I'm not repeatable, if I don't have a sustainable problem, a sustainable route, then it's hard. But it's that's not very sexy. Is the challenge the the re- reliability is a very important but hard to communicate message? And, yeah, and and that's part that was kind of my point, right? Like in the in the well worn sports metaphor, you know. Running laps and doing push-ups is not sexy. Right. It's just not. But you, you know, I, you guys probably don't know know John Trainer, but John John's a local Atlanta CIO that's very well known in the community. And I was we were talking about this, and uh, and he was talking about his his way of dealing with this is that he basically sandbags all the IT projects and that's how he that's how he budgets for technical debt reduction mm-hmm. but this is kind of a it's a kind of a different i don't know face to the same coin if you will it's not technically technical debt i guess but you know well, it's, you get, this you, 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 you know what i'm saying it's it's just as unsexy no, it, it, as technical debt reduction it, well, the problem is that people there's there's known technical debt, and then there's accumulated technical debt that just that it's the time compounding part. Yeah, and some of it's like perfectly working stuff stops working. Um, it just right the half life of automation is very very short. Yeah. I, by the way, I did not want to go down the technical debt rabbit hole because no. that is a great rabbit hole. <laughs> Uh, it's, and, well, and, it's it's the the challenge. The challenge is that you got CIOs who who have budget. They spend a whole bunch of budget, and then Joanna, I do want to hear hear your your, your talk <laughs> on the slide. But they spend a whole bunch of budget, and then if, if you're spending budget on something that then decays in value, then you know you've got either it's going to have an ROI and you're going to keep investing in it, or you basically eighteen months later or just you know. Looking back, looking, you know, hopefully not crushing your career because you've put a whole bunch of money in something that that doesn't have longevity. Well, it only has to have longevity until you get to your next gig. So it kind of goes back to the whole persona breakdown about Uh, the values of the individual we're talking about. Yeah. Right. And you can segment those. I mean, I'm not yeah. suggesting that I'm omnipotent in any way, <laughs> but if you look at these seven challenges and there should be something that that filters down, and I just can't get it to work right now, that has words like cybersecurity and technical debt and reduction. And there should be a, a little um, uh, bar between calibrate talent and and calibrate management strategy. But these are the top seven challenges for CEOs that filter down to CIOs. And you can make a very strong business case around any one of these, depending on the industry and the vertical segment. And you can build the personas in a way to get your positioning, your branding, and your messaging to filter to every level within IT from the DevOps up or from the developers up and from the CIO down. And in particular, CIOs report into one of two channels, usually CEO, COO, or CFO, right? The guys who are kind of Luddite and I keep the lights on and the computer's moving, hooray. Uh, and those that are taking the um, uh, offering of digital transformation or industry for and saying, wow, I can become a CEO after this. Because I've moved my way up the food chain or a board member. And they're they're gravitating towards that because their role is changing in that direction anyway. They might as well seize the opportunity. Yeah. But any one of these, Tyler, gets you to the point that you're trying to get to because you can then qualify and quantify uh, metrics around each quality for each persona in each segment, in each vertical. it's There's a whole matrix that you can build around this. And oh, that yeah. allows you to do 
but it's not a one-off matrix. It's a matrix that basically says, for these kind of scenarios, this is how I can go. This is the argument. And you can then pump out your proposals or anything else that goes along with it. Do your you know, thought leadership, your collateral, all of your social stuff under the same bailiwick. And it does resonate because yeah. the interesting point is once you're mm-hmm. at that level of being a CIO, we've all been there, um, you start to interact with people in other industries just through associations and affiliations, golf courses. You know, I mean, the discussions go on and on and on, but they take one of these threads usually with them. Well, I, you know, I like, can see I can see this. That this is the kind of slide where it, it takes me back to sales training at HP 15 years ago, where they're like, always never leave a slide up when you're having a, a discussion with like a, a brainstorming or other kind of discussion with your prospects. I'm like, no, this is the perfect kind of slide that you would leave up for 30 minutes while you meet with the leadership team. Uh, the CIO and the leadership team, and you talk about each one of these things because every every leadership team has an element of that. But I, I, I guess we're I would imagine that is is the identification of a precipitating event because what I, what I find is that like so we're at this IT strategy layer right now. But really what it comes down to, like where I was successful in getting that first production implementation in place was a precipitating event that the CIA used to justify the spend on our platform and the implementation. And that event was they wanted to open offices in California, meaning any of the data analytics needed to have CCPA, CPRA compliance built in from a governance perspective. So they said, okay, if we want to open this office in California, we need to adopt the PrivOps matrix because it has data privacy by design built into the platform from the ground up. And that is, boom, done, right? Yep. And from a selling perspective, we look at those seven things are freaking brilliant because you can just say, okay, these are the, these are the things that are top of mind that are the priorities. So let's talk about what are the events that are occurring? Like, for example, if there was a recent ransomware attack with a close competitor or within the organization that completely changes the priority base. Sure. Right. And and there's absolutely. we we could we could ideate on an hour call different scenarios of those different events. So I guess what I'm saying here, I'm I'm just this is just verbal diarrhea. I'm just talking out loud or thinking out loud. But maybe maybe what we need to be thinking about is is what are the precipitating events for bringing Rackin into the DevOps capability within an organization or the PrivOps matrix, right? You know, so what, I mean. One, six, and seven. Of the, of the, of the list. Yeah. So the, the. Inflation inflation, and margin pressure. So strengthening the digital thread and prioritizing innovation initiatives. Is is there a right? These are laid out not just in a linear list. Is there a a, a pattern in how these are like a clock or a, a sequence? In your no, thinking, there. Okay. Uh, oh, in my thinking, yes, there's definitely a pattern. Okay. Um, because if you look at it, for example, for um, you know, let let me use a trust company or a fintech or whatever, a bank mitigating supply chain disruption is not really an issue, right? Okay. But making sustainability a pillar would be because they have big data centers, they have big offices, they use a lot of power. Those that are national brands have already onboarded to that. (coughs) And the innovation initiative comes in their use of AI for customer experience. 
you know, my chatbot is very frustrating to people. I need a better way to do this. I'm going to spend money on my AI to make it better, which is going to bring more Gen Zs in and, you know, satisfy boomers and blah, 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 blah. So when six and seven are, are quite, are quite easy to do Uh, three as well for companies that are either supply chain or manufacturing. Maybe maybe easy for you, but I'm not sure six and seven are easy (laughs) for most people out there. Are you talking about easy to do or easy to sell? Because you started out and and I apologize for coming in a little bit late. Um, If I look at the seven, they all also have a quite distinct time envelope that is associated with them. There are some that are to talk about precipitating events. There's some sort of a crisis that needs to be um, dealt with and remediated as quickly as possible. And that stretches from, you know, kind of ASAP to look, we know it has to be sustainable and we've got to, you know, follow a, a policy of of ESG um, awareness and so forth. I can see the I can see the timelines for each of these kind of um, laid out almost, you know, graphically. And then I, I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit um, confused about something, Joanne, you said about um, kind of selling a kind of selling a solution or or getting the getting the okay. Are we are we talking about a business proposition? Are we talking specifically about what the CIO needs to do in order to get um coverage <coughs> I, i'm i apologize again for kind of jumping in late the well the, the original question was around positioning uh right. to for growth and i'm making the argument that selling to, what kind? well in, in in every in either case of of rob or tyler that don't sell low down sell high up make the argument to the CIO, to the C-suite, to the board, and you can build your case for right. doing that and to get uh, to get a close or a sale faster because this changes the timeline of the sales cycle. It shortens it dramatically, and it's yeah. evergreen. I, I can actually give you a very concrete example on, on high up, down, low, uh, selling selling conflicts. And, but one of the challenges I see is that I don't think – that the people at the execution levels are always aware of the business priorities or able to talk in business priorities in the right ways. And I, I part, this is, you know, and I, I know I struggle with it, so I can't imagine somebody who's, who's more down on the, even more down on the technical side, but we're, we're uh, helping a uh, prospect soon to be customer automate um, Cisco gear. And Cisco gear isn't automatable for us the way that Dell or HP gear is. They 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 intentionally they want to be in the middle, um, you, without any ascribing anything else. But it's they they don't make it as easy um, for us to just directly address the system. And so you know, and 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 the the customer is doesn't doesn't want Cisco in the middle. They they're trying they're trying to eliminate Cisco. From this, and what we don't know, back to not understanding the business value, is if that's because they're trying to, you know, neutralize Cisco. If they're trying to not pay for licenses for Cisco, if they're trying to improve the control systems that they have, right? So, what what we don't have, and I, I don't know if the the bottoms up people we're working with fully articulate the CIO's priorities in getting in, in why they want to do this automation. Um, and so that's it's an interesting balance for us. One of the things that we're now asking, since the easy way didn't didn't just work, is what's your objective? 
you know, before we go fixing, you know, an alternative path, what, what do you actually want to do? What's success? And to me, that's, I, you know, I wish we could start. We actually have this conversation. I wish we could start with, all right, this is what your top level goals are. This is what your, your next level down goals are. The time we're working with somebody to fix something, it's, it's often translated through multiple layers or even lost, frankly. Well, doesn't that, just to use your point, actually yeah. demand that at the various layers where you do have access, basically say, you know, ask the question, what would be a clear indicator of success? What would be a clear indicator or metric of failure? And um, is there is there a um, are there cutoffs? In other words, is there a satisfying layer that says, all right, I, I know I can't do everything. I know I can't get it perfect. But if I can get it at this level on a sustained basis, that's satisfactory. I, you know, I'm not going to get I'm not going to get a. A I'm not going to get a big bonus. I'm not going to get a gold star. Right. But I've, you know, I've hit a target that basically keeps us out of the red zone. So uh, in, in some sense, yeah. in, in some sense, don't you almost have to, you know, ask that of each of those kind of communities you just mentioned. And if there are significant differences in the um, apparent metric or the apparent level or definition of what success is, mm -hmm. then you have a uh, you have a messaging and selling uh, challenge or opportunity. You know, take your pick. There is a there's a way of saying, look, um, you've defined success in some fairly significantly different ways. Well, let me tell you how we can hit all of them or most of them, or here's how they relate to one another. Part of what I'm working to do is come back with KPIs. Um, and I think this is useful because mm -hmm. what, what these key challenges should translate into is there are KPIs behind a lot of these or that you can talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, yeah. I really, I really like this. Well, cause you know, what I just described, you could come back and look at Joanne's list and say, you know what, we're actually talking about a procurement and sourcing dilemma, right? So you're not beholden to one vendor that, you know, helps you with supply chain pieces. You know, you're, you're looking at, you know, improve, you know, some, some improved control over machines being on or off. So there's a sustainability piece. And fundamentally you're, you're helping, you know, uh, deal with talent management because they're not spending time chasing, you know, low level tasks They're they're, you're, you're up leveling your, your people's ability to, to go. And so I think we need help, right? We, the technology side just have to do a better job of translating the the actual work we do back into these metrics and vice versa. Um, and, well, and, and to your point, Rob, six, which is strengthening the digital thread, is mm -hmm. always a very good platform argument to make because uh, no company is an island. They all live in ecosystems. They all have situations where even if it's a bank with a regulator or a bank with a government body, there's this notion of the digital thread that they have more available data that they can give it, at, you know, they're making it mm. visible for regulatory reasons or whatever. It becomes one of those wonderful ones that you can assign specific metrics to or alternatively qualitative metrics. And for each of these, I've built somewhat of a metrics capability of how you would figure out the metrics and what they actually mean in terms of business value, because as a company, mine is value is the North Star, period. Um, if you can't create value, then you shouldn't be around. So here is the value mm -hmm. arguments that you can lay out for each of these challenges or across the board. And the other the, the other thing that I wanted to say, Rich, to your point, 
He may not have visibility up to the CIO, but I would ask the question, why? Why not? First ask why. Why don't you have visibility up to that level? Because you can talk to a director of IT or director of ops who has Mm -hmm. a modicum of knowledge based on need to know for performance reasons and not be privy to the bigger picture. It might be worth the little bit of risk. And it's a very small one of going out on a limb and saying, you know, maybe you you might want to arrange a call with your CIO because if they're the holder of the budget key, and that's your budget, Mr. Director of Ops, then we need to all kind of be on the same page. And the other yeah, question that I would also right. that also comes to mind is if they're trying to go around Cisco, what does that mean for you going forward? Who's the you in this case? Well, in Rob, in in Rob's case, we we have oh, we actually have yeah. a lot of customers and prospects who would who would like to have some um, alternatives to Cisco from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, and no, so it's 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 one to us. It's a no. It's a no brainer, right? If we can work with the with this customer at what they're what we believe they're asking. This is really what we're trying to verify is a widely asked request, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, it doesn't change Cisco's business behavior, unfortunately. Here, but it does. Um, you know, if we there are there are some ways in which you know, kind of a, a classic sales or organization would go and you know prepare a bunch of ammunition for that director. You, you Joanne was just mentioning and and basically you know you know loading the guy up for bear. You know, just go into the CIO CIO's office or the CFO's office and say, look. This is what this is the this is the story. These are the values. And one of the biggest challenges um, going into those situations will be um, dealing with the senior executives rule of thumb that kind of long held values or long held opinions that they've used the heuristics um you know and if you're going to walk in there and show value and it is going to at least appear to be disruptive or counter to that executive's you know long held you know favorite opinions you know i uh, i i rely on cisco or you know i you know, mm. I've never, I've, oh. you know, they've never let, they've never let me down. Or it can be a, an, an approach <laughs> that says, you know, I, you can't, you know, I, I think of, I'm, I'm dealing with a slightly different issue. Um, at a certain point, an executive says, you know, data, data is a cost center. Data is a, is, you know, generates cost for me, generates risk for me, uh, you know, you can't tell me how you have to show me why this investment in some particular kind of uh, data oriented uh, operations or infrastructure is going to not just reduce costs, but perhaps monetize this in some other way, actually generate revenue or create new products. Those are things that you you have to actually walk in and line up, not necessarily from the outside, but you almost you're almost obligated to do it both going directly as you know Rob to the CFO or CIO and that director as well. You've got to kind of load that person up with uh, all the ammunition that makes the, you know, Basically changes changes the landscape, changes the the calculus. That's it's yeah. We think I think of it as arming our champions from that perspective. Yeah, exactly. but, they're, but they're not they're not even taught. And this this I think is one of the you know the things to think about is right. 
we're they're not talking they're not asking the right questions or talking the right value we're we're talking past each other ask the right right questions of you or ask the right questions of of their boss ah this okay. is the the this to me I'm going all the way back to Jeffrey Moore and the crossing the chasm right the difference mm-hmm. between early adopters and early majority is that the early adopters um in some ways you know, they're figuring this out. They're putting the pieces together. They don't want it to be obvious. <laughs> they they do the the organizational work to be like, and I, I you know, I was explained this right to an extent. They they don't want it to be simple because they they see it as a competitive advantage. When you get to early majority people, they're they they need you to be like, oh, okay, this is you know, I I can see how. I accomplish these key, you know, address these key challenges and you have to sort of walk them through it. Yeah. And that, that kind of maps, that kind of maps back to what, what that individual is, how they are currently providing value to the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the example you use Rob with the early majority is that <clears throat> they're not, they don't see their ability to add value as, as, as part of that, identifying new technologies, for example, right? Where, you know, what we need to do is we need to make the trains run on time, not build bullet trains. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's almost like we need a whole different, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at myself being a technologist for all these years and, um, it's it's a blind spot for me, frankly, to think about because underlying all of my conversations is this implicit assumption that people are going to do the right thing with respect to the organization that they're parts of. And a lot of times you'll have so so say, for example, you'll have, a, you know, an enterprise architect, for example, their their motivations, you know, are do they have a vested interest in the current platform because they were the ones that helped build it? Are they new into the organization? Are they trying to put their imprint into the organization? Uh, it, you know, those sorts of psychosocial attributes, as opposed to this, you know, the you know, Joanne's slide that that to me is like is so exciting to get senior leadership and the CIO and start talking and ideating. But that's just one component of a a successful implementation. I'm looking at your website right now, Rob. Okay. And the the largest text on the front page is scale IAC automation on any platform. Right. That implies to me that that your target buying persona is probably an enterprise architect or the VP that has DevOps, so VP of applications, or because obviously a lot of no, that's right. That's that, and that's that's who together. the site's been targeted to. Actually, one of the things that I have on my plate over the next couple of months is to uh, tune the messaging to to um, have a, a additional persona. I think this conversation is really important because it gets down to the core reason why we see digital transformation efforts fail such a large Mm, percentage of the time. Yeah, because they fail to get heart share. And they fail to get heart share, and I'm not trying to quote myself, but they fail to get heart share because there's a lack of alignment between the vision of what transformation is, the value the transformation can bring, and the execution and the dissemination of the messages wide up and down are different depending on who's delivering them, but they should all be singing from the same songbook called We're Going Through Transformation Industry for Modernization, whatever the hell you want to call it. It doesn't matter. Um, there is that need for change. And it's not about change management as a business process or a technology process. It's about getting people 
to understand that big picture and the value that they contribute to your point. Like, you know, that director of, of ops may not feel that they're, I, I, I'm just doing my job. You know, I, I, no bullet trains, just regular trains that run on time. <laughs> well, your regular trains that are running on time are going to increase dramatically over the next two years because they're carrying data. And the efficiency is going to drop because of the volume of data that's going to be coming up. Do you see where I'm going? So their contribution, no matter how minor they feel it is on their day-to-day job, really has more values. And what you do is by hmm. dropping those little seeds of value and value being added right. on to Rich's point about monetizing it for through innovation or new product delivery or faster faster time to value for the in, internal user community and the external user com- community, that gives that person the seed to start thinking of their own contribution to value and wanting to contribute to the bigger picture. And that filters down to their ops people and their dev people who can still choose their own stuff, yeah. but now have a way of saying, I too can contribute to the value. So value is is a huge thing in this whole genre that we live Mm -hmm. in now called uh we don't there is no new normal normal no longer exists we're living in the chaos of of an industrial revolution and we've now gone through the first wave we're partway through the second wave of it as ai takes more predominance um and if you want to stay ahead of that curve for a competitive advantage which everybody wants right then you can, you you now given people the wherewithal to make that claim. No more is the ROI argument such a factor because ROI arguments only went into a top drawer in somebody's desk after they got funded. Case closed. I lived it for years. Yeah, that's right. And everybody wants to know, well, what's the next big thing? Well, I'm driving more value in you know this way, this way, and this way. Whether it's data fabric versus mesh, whether it's IAC versus some other methodology, um, I'm giving the control. I'm giving. I'm giving you all the tools that you need to ascertain your competitive advantage and then capitalize on it. Yeah, and Joanne, Sorry. would you, Joanne, would you also add in there, or, or at least make explicit that once you say, you know, we're all lining up on the um, the increase in value, that value is the focal point. You also right. have to give the right kinds of metrics, KPIs, numbers, yeah. you know, and, and debunk the ones that have been misleading. You were just, you mentioned ROI or, you know, time to recovery, you know, recovery costs and so forth. There are times when they are useful, and then you also have to show when there are these are metrics that are no longer useful as yes. contributing oh, to value. Yeah. So to Rob's earlier point, if you can make the case for value, if you can show up also with metrics, KPIs, something that gives you at least the look and feel of an objective measure. Yep. And then uh, say it's at this point on that objective measure that we've, we're going to declare success or victory. Maybe it's just, it's satisfying the, the need at the, you know, kind of the, the minimum level. That is where you change minds and get people on board. It's um, it's it's the kind of thing that it's the kind oh. of thing that you you hope you would hope to have in a kind of a three by five card that says all right, and what I'm doing or is the decision I'm making here going to add you know add to X is it is it uh, is it value neutral is it value accretive how what what are the applicable metrics or measures that you're going to, and when will they be applied? 
as to you know when this action that I'm advocating or that I want to take is going to show up. And you're you're are, almost obligated to give your your boss, your you know executive a a, a time frame and and yeah. make it as realistic as as you can. Well, that's that's where that's where I struggle a little bit. Is yeah, it'd be nice to have that three by five. And I, I have I have a whole Dewey Decimal system of three by five cards for this in my head. <laughs> and 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 Rob, you do too. And yeah. Rich and Joanne, you guys do too. You go into a scenario, you say, okay, you get you get a feel with just a few seconds into the conversation. Okay, here's what this individual cares about, and here's how they drive value in their organization, how it's perceived, and what role they have in making decisions, and what role they have in execution. And you just kind of automatically map that into a scenario so you kind of know what kind of leading questions to ask and how to, which value statements to focus on and so on and so forth. And what I'm struggling with is, well, I can't just, I, you know, I was interviewing a salesperson. And I'm like, you have a sales kid? And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> right? Have you had that? It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, I, yeah, I, what I have is based on decades of experience. And you go into these scenarios. No, and- but but this this to me is the... You know where, and and we're we're out of time, so I need, we need to wrap it up. Um, th- this is what I would consider product message fit, Tyler. That that once that what we're describing are, and I, and I think Rich nailed it. Is this isn't and this isn't ROI. It's about you know a feeling. It's you you you've got to have something where people are like that resonates with me from a priority perspective. I've, I've got to have well, the emotional connection. Yes. And what Tyler, to to your point, and I think to yours as well, and, and off of what Rich was saying in terms of metrics, the one that seems to resonate very well for those that I speak to regularly is think about value this way. The faster you can make a decision, an event happen, the more valuable it is right? The faster you can make a decision, the more valuable it is because you're either being proactive instead of reactive. You're trying to stay ahead of the curve. It's a major efficiency measure. I agree with that. Okay. It's time to decision. And the more time you can take out of a process to get to the go, no go decision, the more valuable your product and you are. And I think the the point to be made the point to be made there, Joanne, is time to decision. That yes. decision also there's a separate there's a separate calculus that says what's the appropriate phasing and time for execution. It is not always as quickly as possible or everything all at once. You know, it it is there's clearly a, a there's a clearly distinct aspect between deciding and having a having the battle plan versus the actual execution of the plan i have to run yeah thanks very much we need to we need to wrap up this was fascinating so 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 just just let me make this last point very quickly so time to decision can be quantified by removing non-value add work in a workflow yeah. Too many emails, too many meetings, too much wasted time in discussion. Uh, you know, you can use the analogy of the agile sprint if you want for it. But if you can verbalize in your own words how how you can radically change time to decision through your technology, you will win and win and win. And the ROI argument goes away, but the one that comes up is the IRR argument, the internal rate of return, and how much more valuable it is. Adding that to our calendar for discussion in the future. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So two, two questions. First, this this cloud <laughs> with the the cloud with the the 
lines and everything on your webpage, Rob. Did you have yeah. something? What was that written in? Oh, that's actually they they did it by hand using an uh, animator. Oh, okay. It's really awesome, isn't it? It's a I love it. Yeah, I'm like I could use something similar to that. Uh, yeah, Joe, they, 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 one I, I paid for you. way more way more than I wanted for it, but I <laughs> I love it. John, real before we before we jump off and go to our next thing, real quick thought: Have you considered mapping your key challenges to a business model canvas? I have the business model canvas, the positioning statements, the branding. Uh, I have it actually as matrices where it all filters down to what are the value, what are the actual value propositions for each person and all of that. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. I, I figured you did, but, you know, I mean, it looks like a really mature approach to going in and, and trying to help some of these organizations make sense of what their challenges are. And how to how to contend with them. So I I, I think it's a great model. By the way, it gets Thank less you. it gets less useful as you go down in the organization, but uh, but definitely at the C level and the VP level for sure. Well, that's right. only because you haven't seen it all. But trust me, <laughs> oh, works I need to go. Up and oh, and yep. I don't do stuff halfway. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's oh, for no. sure. I'll talk to you soon. We're going back to metadata, I think, next week. So. Wow, what a powerful conversation where we really start with technical drivers and solving technical problems, something near and dear to my heart, but then really rethink how those technical problems get framed at the executive level from the budgetary and business perspective. And we really do need to get much better at connecting those two things together. They, they need to fit. Uh, technical people need to understand the business drivers and the business drivers need to help technical people understand how what they're doing fits into that delivery because otherwise they don't create sustaining value. And that is a really significant problem. As always, please join us for these conversations. You can find out our schedule and links to join at the 2030.cloud and join in the conversation from there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.